Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter-day Takes. I hope you had an amazing three-day weekend, as I did. As you all know, uh, most of you know at least, I was down in Las Vegas for the BYU-Arizona football game. Had a blast. I would say the coolest part was actually experiencing Allegiant Stadium itself because experiencing BYU football this year is kind of meh. I don't know. It's uh, not giving me a whole lot of hope. For the game coming up this Saturday against Utah, which we will do a little bit more of a preview for that in the next episode. But I'm going to make it a little bit more fun. So it's not going to be just about the initiated sports fans, so to speak, the ones that are really into BYU or Utah. We're going to talk a little bit history between BYU and Utah. We're going to have a Utah fan uh, talking with us on the podcast, a friend of the show. Casey Sada will come on. And I think it'll be a fun back and forth. In fact, I think most people that aren't even really that involved in the rivalry or really have a horse in the race will still enjoy about the hour that we'll take talking back and forth. It'll be pretty fun banter, I think, to say the least. Casey's a great guy. He's fun to talk with and joke around with with the rivalry. Anyway, before we get to today's episode, though, I did have an experience I really wanted to share because it's hilarious, and I think y'all will appreciate it, And um, maybe except for maybe the Utah fans because it kind of involves them. So I went down to the game with a good friend of mine, mission buddy. He was actually my last companion on the mission. Um, just did a quick road trip. You know, day of the game, we went down, got there, had dinner, went to the game, met up with another friend of mine who is an, also a mission buddy who's just been a light, really, really good friend of mine ever since the mission. We've been we've kept in touch regularly. We've gone on trips together. Anyway, so the three of us were at the game together experiencing that. And um, when we get into Allegiant, you know, we find our seats, and you're just kind of exploring a little bit and seeing stuff, and it's just awesome. Right when we get to our seats, these two Arizona fans happen to be sitting right behind us. And what's funny about that is, like, the rest of their row was empty. Well, I guess not the rest, but, like, the next five or six seats to them were empty. So we just happened to plant ourselves right in front of these guys. Immediately upon getting there, they're just like, oh, no, get out of here, get out of here. But super nice. Like, you could just tell they were friendly. Like, it was just going to be, like, this kind of friendly rivalry had going between the two of us uh, or the two parties and immediately they were like i mean y'all this game will be over by halftime like you guys don't have anything to worry about but then they're like but you all suck you all suck you know it's kind of fun you're having a really good time you know we're trying to find some camaraderie there really cool things um one of them wasn't really the biggest arizona fan he just happened to be the brother-in-law of the other one that went to arizona that was a big arizona fan and we just kept talking. Like, they, they kept asking us stuff. They're like, you guys really don't drink? Like, that's crazy. That's like, I don't get it. How is that possible? And like, I would never be able to do that. And I made a point. I was like, you know, don't sell yourself short. You know, if you would have been raised in my position, there's a there's a high likelihood you wouldn't have drunk either. You know, it's it's just kind of how you, how you raise your values, things like that. Well, he didn't buy it. He's like, no, I don't, I don't believe that still. But the other one, whose name's Kevin, um, he and I really hit it off. And he's like, you know what, man? He's like, I think I actually could see that because I I hated my childhood. Like I, I became like I've been through some crazy stuff. And these guys were very loose with their language. They were also definitely tipsy, but my goodness, were they not the nicest guys in the world? I mean, we were having a really fun time back and forth, we're really teasing each other, jawing at each other. And so Kevin and I kind of got to talking a little bit more, and he's like, I'm fascinated by you, man. Like, I'm fascinated by your religion, like who you are as a person. Like, you just seem so nice and everything. I loved the experience talking with him. And it was funny later because I was talking to my other buddies that were there who were a little bit more quiet, and they were like, yeah, I mean, I just didn't go there to meet people. I went there to watch the game, which I totally understand. I caught myself watching the game a little bit in between conversations and things like that. But I did have that question myself, you know, what do you get to experience more? A football game with your favorite team or two random guys that might have a crazy story to tell? And Kevin specifically kind of did. He he said, he had, like he showed me, he pulled down his uh, the collar of his shirt to show me his neck and he's like, see these scars? These scars are heroin scars. Like I was, I was a junkie. Like I had the worst life in the world. He's like, but dude, I decided to get my crap together and I started a business. And what he does is he, um, he I believe he, creates and you know makes parts for boats and things like that and has his own business that does very well in his words which i have no reason to believe otherwise i don't know why you'd lie about that but regardless kevin seriously found himself a new life he has two kids married just a different outlook on life from what he was and i love stories like that for one i mean if you want to if you want to 
find me being a sucker. It's any story kind of like that, kind of just anybody getting their crap together, pulling themselves up from their bootstraps. You know, he even said, he's like, you know, I like kind of found religion in the process and everything. I mean, he doesn't call himself religious, but he does believe in God. And it was was really cool uh, to talk with Kevin. But here's the funniest part that I did want to share on this podcast was that as we're talking, John, Adam, and I turned around to them and I was like, hey, guess what? I am a Arizona fan the day you guys play the U- University of Utah because they'll play each other. They're both Pac-12 South. They'll play each other this year. And they're like, oh, yeah, nice, nice, man, nice. You know, like kind of funny. And I was just like, those Utah fans, they all suck. They're all jerks. And I'm saying this as a guy that has really good friends that are Utah f- fans. Like no one no one actually believes that I think every single one of them stinks, right? Um finding common ground right you find a common enemy that's where the camaraderie starts and we're able to just kind of go from there having a fun time and i just said it a couple times well unbeknownst to me there was a utah fan that came to the byu arizona game that was sitting right in front of me who turns around and says hey man do really do utah fans really all stink and he's just kind of like coming at me and i just go to him like listen man seriously it's all good first of all like calm down like we're just having we're just bantering like it's not really a thing i was like if you really think that i think that like you're wrong i have a lot of friends that are utah fans i'm kind of like trying to calm him down because i'm like i'm not sure why you're butting in a conversation that's clearly meant to just be like whatever dumb guys meeting each other for the first time finding something to bond over but he wasn't having that and he was still kind of coming at me and (laughs) in the midst of all this my two new friends, Kevin and Anthony, all of a sudden just like are pointing down at the seat and they like come down kind of basically to our level and they're just like, dude, you shut the F up. F you, bro. F you. <laughs> just without even me, I, didn't, I wasn't asking, I wasn't appealing to them, but they inserted themselves and they're like, you can go screw off, man. And they were saying some other very creative curse words that I cannot possibly repeat on this podcast, but... It was hilarious, and then I just, and they're like telling me, they're like slapping my shoulder, like, we got your back, bro, and then I just turned to them, and I'm like, point proven, right? <laughs> we had a good laugh over that, and let me just say again, because I know there are Utah fans that listen to this podcast, of course, I do not think that about your entire fan base. I don't even think that about most of your fan base. I'm just saying something stupid to bond with fans of another team, and it was a hilarious experience that rose from there. But anyway, Kevin and I are now Facebook friends. He messaged me and he's like, dude, I'm coming to Utah. And I was like, please do. And when you do, we'll hang out. So I'll keep you updated on that. He'd be a blast to have on the podcast. I just have to get that edit button ready. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that little intro. Hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you're gearing up again, once again, for a great week. We got September 11th coming up on Saturday. It's a nice time to take to kind of remember everything those events and where you were when that happened which i still do vividly and the emotions that we all felt it's nice to kind of reflect on that and kind of the unity that was brought through all that and makes that interesting and how since we've kind of grown apart once again sadly but regardless i hope you kind of look into this weekend with that in mind as well as having fun with uh any games that might be taking place byu utah coming up once once again i said we'll have that episode ready on thursday reminder This episode is part two that we just played last Thursday. Justin Hickens' arrest story from flooding the field for the BYU-Oklahoma game in 2009. And it only gets better in part two. So if you like part one, there's more to come. And it's funny. Great ending. um, All that stuff. Anyway, love y'all. Have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. (laughs) Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not drinking. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. (laughs) I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Mormons. Yes, Yes, the Mormons Mormons were the crackdowns. 
Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. And they say, hey, you need to come with us. And I was like, all right, makes sense. You know, like, they, you know, they probably saw me run on the field and they're getting me off. And I was kind of bugged because it's like, yeah, game's over. What's the big deal? So they start walking me over to this railing that I had leaped over. And all of a sudden there's an officer standing there waiting for me. And I'm starting to put two and two together. And I think, oh, no. Like, are they are they really going to arrest me here? Sure enough, he's got the cuffs open. And I look at him, I go, are we, are you, you're, you're really not going to arrest me, are you? And he goes, yeah, we are. We have to arrest you for criminal trespass. No way. And I was like, you're kidding me. And looking back on it, I mean, this is 12 years later, but looking back on it, of course they had to, right? And I had just been conditioned all the previous times we had rushed the field, right? It was at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, or it was at, uh, what was it, Sam Boyd Stadium in Vegas, right? These are these are college stadiums where you don't have to do that. But in a professional stadium, almost always, like you, you have to arrest someone that goes onto the field that shouldn't be there. And I think especially in a situation where it was like a brand new stadium, you had to set the precedent that like, even though the game's over, this isn't acceptable. We can't let this guy yeah, get away with really it. They don't really rush the field in NFL games ever, do they? I, I've, no. I've never seen that. No, it's no, definitely not a thing. Yeah. No. Well, and there, I mean, there's stupid stuff that happens occasionally at baseball games, right? Where, like, some rogue fan will run out there during the game and be an idiot. And, you know, they never show it on TV because they don't want to encourage that. But, you know, in my head, I just wasn't thinking. And I was just conditioned to, like, well, yeah, if the game's over, it's over. It's, it's okay. You know, it's fine. You know, no one's going to care. But... I hadn't put two and two together, so <laughs> here I was all of a sudden unaware of of my fate or what was going to happen to me, and I had never been arrested before in my life, and I wasn't, you know, it was kind of like, I, I, was, I was chuckling a little bit, but at the same time I was also concerned because it was like, well, what's going to happen next, and I'm in a very unique situation where... My family knows I'm out at the game, but other than that and the person I came with, Britt, nobody knows that I'm here. I did see a couple friends. My friend Brady Peterson was like in the stands with his family and some other people. But I go, no one's going to come get me if, if, I'm, if I'm locked up or well, something's going on. Good thing you get on. that one phone call, huh? Which is, which is, which is very funny. And so <laughs> before they quote-unquote take me away... I tell the officer, I say, look, I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I said, I have some sandals over there. Can I get them? He goes, yeah. So we walk over there. I put the sandals on. And then you tried one last ditch effort to get away. <laughs> and he proceeds to escort me Did to... Did you have handcuffs on at this point? I had handcuffs oh, on. Yeah, I was, I was cuffed. Hands were behind the back. And, and, and I think the, you know, the interesting thing was none of the fans saw it I don't think I mean some of the fans saw me being escorted from the field by security mm -hmm. and I remember some of them like boo you know let, oh, let him go let him you know he's just having fun but I don't know if any of them knew that I was going to get arrested or about to be arrested and so it wasn't on anybody's radar or anything like that well I get escorted to the stadium holding cell which was pristine but <laughs> you, you were probably their first convict. Yeah, well, that's what I would have thought. Same and thing. and I get there, and you know, sure enough, you know, people are emptying, you know, my pockets, taking all my whatever's in there, putting in a bag. And while I'm there, I, I'm I'm trying to talk to. There's a few different officers, you know, some people doing paperwork and stuff. And I I say, look, You're I like who's Ralph? I, <laughs> I, yeah, I ex I explain to him. I go, hey guys. I said, listen, I, I don't want to cause any trouble, but here's my situation. And I explained to him how no one's going to be coming to get me wherever I end up. I have one friend that I traveled from out of state with who's here. And I pleaded. I said, can we give him a call? At the same time, I don't know that Britt's going to pick up his phone because he was on, he rushed the field with me. You should have just sold Bird out. Like, There's one more guy you want. <laughs> well, and, and I'll add... Will you guys let me go if I give you a different person to arrest? Yeah, Does that work? Is that how it works? I'll add this, too, because I didn't, I didn't realize it until... We joked about this earlier, but I didn't realize it until after I'd been on the, on the field for a minute or two. But Britt and I were the only ones that ran out onto the field. 
And I think that's for a couple reasons. So you were that time when you look back and no yeah. one's behind you. But ex- like, ah, except, crap. except I wasn't really looking back. You know, we were just <laughs> we were just jumping around, having a good time with the team. But I did notice it after I was like, oh yeah, this isn't a home game, or this isn't some you know Vegas fifty fifty. I don't know. Even in Vegas, BYU probably has seventy eighty percent. Yeah, of the hardly fans, fifty but, fifty there. Let's be but uh, I think the. You know, there might have been a couple others had it not been for, looking back, I think about this, the way the stadium was constructed, I mentioned this, these suites that were field level, the only way that you could jump down from a seat inside the stadium and land on the actual field was if you did it directly over the tunnels where the players entered and exited. And even then it was like probably 15 foot drop or something, you know. Otherwise, you would have to do a similar drop into a hard cement patio of one of these suites, then run to the end of the patio, and then hop over a fence. And I go, yeah, pe- that's like a deterrent. People aren't going to do that. It's not It's not easy to do. And so even if there were a couple people that wanted to do that, Britt and I had the easiest path to do it, and I think we just didn't think about it because of how simple it was from where we were to get on the field. Sure, yeah. So they're they're getting all my stuff, and I, I plead with them. I say, "Hey, can we call my friend Britt?" Finally, they go, "Okay, we can call him." But it, you know, it's this weird thing where I'm in cuffs, sitting on a chair, and I have to coach the guy. You know, and I forgot to add this. Luckily, I remember how my phone had dropped in the toilet. We put in a bag of rice. The day of the game, miraculously, the phone had revived. That freaking so nice, the phone man. was working. So you know, tender mercies. We were able to get the phone call off to Britt, but I had to like coach the officer. Okay, here's the contact, and you had to arrow down and make the call. He held the phone up to my face while I'm in cuffs, and it took a couple rings, but luckily Britt answers. And I just tell Britt, I say, hey, Britt, they got me. I got arrested. <laughs> they got me. I don't, you have to come to. <laughs> I, said, I said, I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I just need you to get me out. You know, do whatever it takes. He goes, Justin, I got you. And knowing Britt, I knew he would find a way to get me out. He's just that type of guy. He wasn't going to give up. And so I felt a little more, you know, I guess assured after that, or I wasn't feeling too anxious. However, I also knew we had a clock that I was working against, right? I had yeah, Ralph, when did Ralph, leave, man? Ralph and the ride board. And the good thing was I knew they weren't leaving that night. I knew the kind of the, the plan when I'd called them and goes, yeah, just give us a call after the game and we'll, we'll try to head out, you know, that morning, Sunday morning, and, and we'll just head back. And I wasn't worried about when we got back. I just wanted to make the ride. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I got to get out and I got to get out in time for the ride. All right, tangent. I mean, we didn't really cover this before. Maybe we kind of did, but like, who in the hell posts on a ride board that they are going to be going from Dallas to Provo? And just like, hey, just FYI, if you want to help with gas money, here it he is. wants to come hang out for 18 like, hours. The type of person that does that Zuby. is pretty much never a person you want to spend 18 hours in a car with. Well, I'm not no. going to lie. At the beginning of this story, when you talked about Ralph, and then you talked about like being in the shower, like... For some reason, I thought Ralph was going to be some kind of stalker. He was gonna <laughs> well, on Ralph, the Ralph, the first Ralph thing shows he says up later you, in the story. The first thing he says to you when you meet him, he's like, guess what? My name's not actually Ralph. <laughs> and we're not going where you think we're going. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so anyway, anyway, it was one of these things where Britt had told me, hey, I'm going to come get you. So I was, I was feeling better, but still there was a lot of unknowns ahead of me. So they take me into the stadium holding cell. Oddly enough, I'm not the first guy in there. There's already four or five people sitting in there waiting for me. All of them have. I thought you could christen it. All of them have OU shirts. And I remember they did this weird thing. Drunken belligerence has to be. (laughs) You guessed it. You guessed it. They, They did this weird thing where like I had to go into the cell, put my hands through this hole. Then they like took the cuffs off and. And the cell was just your classic, you know, just a hard cement floor, a a tiny six-inch off-the-ground metal bench that looked like something from a Little League dugout. And then you have your your steel toilet with, you know, no partition, nothing. If you got to go, you're just... Did they have a pull-up bar? There was no bar. There was nothing else. That was it. All right, what what does it feel like 
when the steel bars like clang shut? What is what is the first thing that goes to your mind when that happens? Well, for me at the time, I was there was a little bit of comedy because inside I was like, okay, I'm I'm guilty, but I didn't do anything bad. You know, I didn't right. do anything wrong. Do you and, have a mugshot? And somewhere, somewhere out there, I've actually never seen it. Uh, I looked for it after the fact, but could never find it. But uh, and and I'll I'll mention this later. But so I'm probably in the holding cell for about forty forty five minutes. Once again, have no clue what's next, and come to find out these these guys in the cell with me are all drunk. You know, or public intox is is what they got nailed for. After about forty forty five minutes, the officers come. They go, okay, we're transferring you to. Tarrant County Jail. What? And I, and I was like, what, what? In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just in here at the stadium, and then they're going to let me go from here. Uh-uh, not the case. So once again, I have to put my hands through the hole. They put the cuffs back on. Uh, five or six of us get escorted out into this, you know, work-like construction van. Putting on the orange jumpsuit. <laughs> and I and I remember and we'll 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 get to the orange jumpsuit here shortly because Wait, you really had to wear an orange jumpsuit. Oh, we're gonna get to that. Oh we're gonna goodness. get to that. So we get in this van and, and the way the van was set up, it was this weird like there was a divide or like some type of barrier from the front to back, running from the front to the back of the van to the to the point where like you could sit there was benches sideways, you know, where you could line up a bunch of people. And I remember as we're getting onto this van, oddly enough, probably about, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 yards away, there is the BYU bus. And I go, what? I go, you know, I'm scrambling. I, this officer, I mean, it was a female officer that was escorting us on. I go, hey, you know, but I you're couldn't like, point. You're like tempted to make a run for it. Yeah, well, I couldn't point. I was in cuffs, but I go, you know, I'm trying to nod with my head. I go, hey, that's my team over there. And I, I saw, like, Tom kind of going by. I go, that's my athletic director. His name's Tom Homo. I said, can you let him know I'm here? Because I promise you he doesn't, like, I shouldn't be here, and he might be able to help get me out. I ain't supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, Sausage I mean, I was, I was doing the, the classic, like, <laughs> not supposed to be here. Not supposed to be here. So she smiles, and she goes, and it's fat ass, and, and my I, nose. And I still remember this. She smiles at me. She goes, oh, I'll let him know. Like, like no joke. So and, and I'm thinking like, oh, you know, and I and I bought it. And sure enough, we get in, and she jumps in the the front seat. And she flips you the bird. And I go, but you didn't go. And she, you know, no acknowledgement other than you know, she basically said she was going to say something. Didn't say a word at all. We drive out of there, past a group of players celebrating and all this stuff and here i am heading off to tarrant county jail are you still thinking this is like kind of funny or are you just like this actually freaking sucks now i mean it's it the i guess the pendulum is starting to swing a little bit more <laughs> to the suck side right whereas initially it was like okay this is whatever funny this is, kind of, this is gonna be a great me. story now you're kind of like i might actually end up in prison but or but, but like i said i mean i was i was mainly concerned about missing a ride and just being stuck in texas for a while even if i got out and number two i just didn't i didn't know you know i i, I was confident Britt was going to help but i just didn't know the timeline on it and i was like well, you know what's what what there's just a lot of unknowns right so sure enough we we drive for about 15 20 minutes we make it over to tarrant county jail and i get escorted in and I still remember we went into like this front room of this police department and in the front room, there were three holding cells in there. And if you were inside one of them, you couldn't really see who was in your neighboring cells. But if you were outside the cells, you could see everybody that was mm -hmm. in there. So we get there and I, I distinctly remember. Turns out Brit's already in one of them. <laughs> Oh, oh, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. But you guys are, are kind of have an idea where this is going. So I remember we get there, and they give us these wristbands with a, like you know a prison issue ID, you know an inmate ID number. They're like these are for the rides. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, like you mentioned, they they take our pictures, you know the mug shots, you know front ways, sideways. They did fingerprints. 
And, you know, even at the time, I think when they took my picture, I probably had a smile on my face just thinking, like, this is a joke, you know. Like, uh-huh. this, I'll come back and find this, and I'll remember this someday. But, like, I got nothing to be ashamed of, which, in contrast, when they finally put me in the holding cell, I was probably in this cell with about 14 or 15 people. And it was, like, all the OU fans that had come over with me, even, like, a couple of OU fans that might have come even before or after but the the interesting thing was when I was in the cell and the same exact makeup, steel toilet, no partition, tiny metal bench about six inches off the ground, and you're kind of looking around at all these guys in there with you, and there is some some remorse. You know, there's like this blanket of shame where people are kind of alone with their thoughts, just like, I screwed up, you know, how, how am I going to change? Well, how am I going like, to make this right? I remember hearing somebody put it this way when they said, like, when those steel bars like cling shut you're just like oh my gosh my freedom is gone and like yeah. it's just a different feeling when you just don't feel like a free man anymore yeah i can i can verify that i can vouch for that is that morgan freeman that said that no <laughs> get busy living or get busy dying. institutionalized i don't know what that means um but anyways so i'm in there i'm in the holding cell just thinking, hey, you know, all my chips are in the Brit basket. He's he's <laughs> the one that's going to get me out, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but I just got to have hope and, and, and be patient here. And and at this point, you know, I mean, it was a night game, and it's getting late. You know, it's, it's 1, 2 a.m., I don't know, maybe it might have even been a little later. And after we had been inside... The cell. Well, let me let me add this part that I skipped, just because it's interesting. So, when we first go in, I mentioned they just give us the wristbands and they take the pictures and and they give us these shoes and they looked it was kind of like a Croc style shoe. Like I remember it was like a gray Croc. But not nearly thing. as comfortable, I'm sure. And uh, I remember looking, and you know, me just being a, a confident. You know, I, I mean, I was very polite and stuff, but I remember it's like, oh, you know, hey, yeah, it's okay. I'm, I, I don't need the shoes. I'm not going to be here that long. And I remember the <laughs> officer looking at me saying, your options are these shoes or no shoes. And he goes, trust me, you don't want to be wearing no shoes. I said, okay, I'll take the shoes. He's like, you ain't going nowhere, man. You got to be somebody's bitch first. <laughs> and, so, and so I took the shoes and I'm in there and... And I guess did anyone blow you kisses when you were in the same cell? With no, them? no. But I, I will add this. This is kind of an interesting little side note. After being in the cell for about forty, forty-five, fifty minutes, who knows? It was hard to keep track of time. But the classic, you know, people start to. It was silent. It was dead silent for a long time, and then people start to, you know, make a comment or two or whatever. And before you know it, we're doing the classic, you know, from every sitcom like. People are asking, oh, what are you in for, type thing, right? It goes around. And and a majority of these guys, it was if it wasn't public in talks, it was some type of alcohol-related charge, you know, whether it was DUI or, you know, domestic issue or something like that. <laughs> and they're going around the cell. And keep in mind, I'm the only blue shirt in there. And they get to me and, the, you know, some of the Oklahoma fans, what about you, BYU? What like are you in here for? Being a super fan. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so I tell him, I go, well, you know, when BYU made a late drive to take the lead and ended up holding on for the win, I, I rushed the field and they got me for a criminal trespass. And it was just dead silent for a few seconds and everybody's giving me these inquisitive looks. And all of a sudden one guy goes, wait a minute, are you saying that OU lost? And oh, no way. And for the first time, I'm thinking all these guys that got arrested for public intoxication, it wasn't after the game was over. It was before the end of the game. So I don't know if it was tailgate, during the game, whatever. And, you know, keep in mind, BYU did not take the lead until about two and a half minutes left. I'll tell you what, if you were smart enough, though, you'd be like, no, they won. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right? Just to make sure you get out of there. At that point, it was too late. And I kind of realized, I was like, oh, crap, you know? And once again, so this guy says that, few-second pause, and then the same guy, 
Nah, he's just messing with us. There's no way BYU beat OU. Everybody starts cackling and laughing, and I'm just kind of quiet, like, all right, you know, like I, you, I, I wouldn't did, be in here if if the story I told you wasn't true. But you did the right thing, man. Yeah. And so, anyways, this, the stories kept going on, and um, I will make a note of this. So there is, you mentioned the, the famous one call, the phone call. Yeah. Well, so what you can do is in the actual holding cell, and, and I'll, I'll go back to this a little bit later, but there is a phone. And you can make a phone call. However, from the experience that I had in there, it was only a collect call out. And I don't think they limited you to one. I think if you wanted to make more, you could. But, you know, no one's really trying to make a bunch of calls unless they can't get a hold of anybody. And... I remember the, the irony of it was if you tried to make the collect call, it would say, you have a collect call from an inmate in Tarrant County Jail. And it would say oh, your yeah. number. You yeah, yeah, I've actually gotten those before. I'm pretty sure they were wrong numbers, but yeah. I've gotten, the, like, no joke, from, like, someone in Virginia. And I was like, what? Like, they, some <laughs> poor bastard has the wrong number. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's your, you know, it isn't this goofy, you know, you got to find change or some garbage like you know see in the old 70s 80s sitcoms but so i remember i i did not make a call at the time because i go what's the who am i going to call brit's working on getting me out so i just left it i left it pat and i think (laughs) break and and i think most of the other guys in that i guess entryway holding cell because they had been in there for alcohol related stuff were like well you know i think Depending on what your charges were, after you quote unquote sobered up, they let you go. You know they weren't keeping you in there forever. You had you know you had a certain amount of bail or something. Works, but. but so I think those guys weren't really making calls either. There was one or two guys that might have made a call. I can't remember, but so probably another half hour, forty minutes goes by, and all of a sudden I look up because we could see the front desk from where we were. I look up at the front desk. Lo and behold, there's Britt, ready to come through and bail me out. And I'm just super relieved. And I just give this big sigh. And then I look down and realize Britt He's is cuffed. also in cuffs. Oh my God. <laughs> and I've got a bunch of weird thoughts going through my mind trying to put the pieces together because I go, well, wait a minute. I got arrested taken off the field and then somehow we still called Brit and he answered so what you know and I'm, and I'm thinking gosh like you know I was on the field for about 10 15 minutes like I'm trying to figure out how this happened because you know what would Brit get arrested like an hour after we rushed you know mm-hmm. what, what in the world so I'm just looking at Brit shaking my head and now I'm also thinking now how am I going to get out of here <laughs> because my only lifeline is also in cuffs Luckily, luckily, because I think I mentioned this too, but there were two other holding cells right there. The door to ours open, and Britt comes into our cell. Mm. And I give him a big hug, you know. <laughs> I remember some of these guys like, oh, another BYU, you know, hey. <laughs> like, kind of joking about it. And I go, Britt, what happened? Because I wanted to hear his version of what happened. And then the next step was going to be to game plan how we were going to still get out of here with both of mm-hmm. us being in there. All right, give us the five-second version of why what happened to Britt. Okay. So Britt tells me after he rushed, he followed the team into the locker room. Bronco had everybody take a knee. There was a post-game prayer. And then Britt takes my call. And, oh, I got to go get Justin. But he probably took his time, dragged his feet a little bit, and you know, was celebrating with some of the guys because he knew some of the players. Well, he gets in the car, and, you know, if you can imagine, like, New area he's not familiar with. We just had this big win. Britt's not paying super close attention to what's what he's doing or what's going on. He has some coordinates of the jail I was going to from the officer. You know, luckily he was able to save those. And this was back when, you know, you had the Garmin GPS. You'd plug it in. It would take you on these little routes. So Britt plugs in the address to the jail. And... About a mile, mile and a half from the jail, all of a sudden he's behind a squad car, a cop car. And I think something triggered in his mind like, oh, yeah, this this person's going to the jail. I'm just going to follow this car. 
Well, Britt doesn't realize it. Keep in mind, too, it's dark. It's after midnight, unfamiliar area. Britt follows the car into a police vehicle-only parking lot. The gate had been opened for this squad car to go in, and Britt just, he didn't know any better, so he followed it in there. So he parks, gets out, and is trying to find his way to the entrance. And here's, here's kind of the, the interesting part to it. He comes upon a group of officers out just kind of chatting or whatever, and Britt makes some comment. And, you know, Britt's the type of guy where he, he's been known to rub people the wrong way a little bit over the years by maybe just not saying the right thing for the right situation or saying the wrong thing at times. So one of these officers goes, hey, have you been drinking tonight, son? And Britt says, no, because I'm a BYU grad. I've never had a drop in my life. Well, those guys don't know what that means. So they go, come over here for a minute. And this is important, too, later, but they proceed to give him this, you know, field sobriety test with, you know, I'm going to hold up my finger. You follow it with your eyes. Is this like one of the things like say the ABC backwards? <laughs> Something like that. Well, apparently uh, Brit fails the first time. And because uh, Brit's cross-eyed, one thing you forget to and, tell, and forgot Brit, to tell us. Brit, Brit's not cross-eyed, but he just, according to the officer, he failed. And then you know the officer asks him again, you know, something along the lines of, "Sure, you haven't been drinking?" And this was Brit's mistake, you know. He he says some snarky comment like, "Well, you know, not not enough to get me into any trouble," or some some stupid thing like that, where it's like, "Ah, you just don't say that for that situation." So they try to do the test again. According to the officer, fails. So that's why they cuff Brit and they arrest Brit for public intoxication, which is interesting. We'll come that back to it later. That doesn't seem legal. I don't think you could do some finger test yeah, and cuff it. Exactly. Dude. Exactly. You gotta, like, gotta like actually fail like a was, breathalyzer. Or it something was like that. very strange, and and we we get back to the. I mean, usually I say this at the end of the story, but I'll I'll just jump into it right now. So, eventually, when some attorneys got involved after everything was all said and done. I remember one attorney goes, yeah, that was, that was super shady. Cause he goes, first of all, they, if you drove into this lot, if they saw you drive in there, they could have charged you with DUI, right? Mm -hmm. You're driving under the, if you're, you know, yeah. intoxicated, it's a worse charge if you're driving. But what the attorney said was, because for a DUI, they have to submit a breathalyzer sample or test. He said, I think the officer was just trying to get you. And for public intoxication, the attorney said, it's just a judgment call. That's it. They so said they don't have to submit any evidence. So that was kind of what happened there. But that's how Britt landed in the cell with me. No way. And that so, like, so, so like the officer was an OU fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, easily could have been. Easily could have been. And I'll tell you this much, for as much as, you know, I wasn't... You know what, side note, if, yeah. now that you mention it, if I were a cop, I would arrest so many U of U fans. So many. Yeah. <laughs> Find reasons to pull them off. Absolutely. Sticker on the yeah, no, no question. Man. Those guys, well, those guys get uh, intoxicated a little bit more, uh, I'd say, than other... Yeah, I would just be doing my, my like public duty let's yeah. be honest <laughs> keeping the streets safe exactly but but anyway all right so i will say we should probably try and streamline this a little okay. bit but we'll, we'll, we'll try to we'll try sorry to I, I know i'm the one distracting you well and you can and you can you know if you need to chop off the front end or whatever do that but uh so for as much as i felt like well i'm guilty but i didn't really do anything wrong brit is even more so like i'm totally innocent like yeah. i'm you know like yeah. justin did trespass I I was not drinking, but yet here's my charge, you know. So well, he trespassed too; he just didn't get caught. But whatever. That's true. That's true. He did <laughs> trespass. So while we're in there, we're trying to we're trying to game plan. We're saying, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get out of here? And it worked. The weird thing was, I had like a my charge was higher than Brits. It was like a the the charge was like a class B misdemeanor criminal trespass. My bail was seven hundred fifty dollars. I couldn't bail my, excuse me, I couldn't bail myself out. Even if you had the money, you could. Even bail? if I had the money, I couldn't do it, and it had to be cash. Now Britt's charge was a little bit more lenient, where 
he could bail himself out. And I think his bail was like 300 or 400 bucks or something. The twist to Britt's charge was that because it was alcohol-related, he had to wait a four-hour period to quote-unquote sober, sober up, up before he gotcha. could leave. Yeah. Even though, I remember the officer saying, yeah, you're the most sober you know, public intox I've seen. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, because I wasn't drinking at all. And so we're, we're in there plotting this, and Britt goes, here's what needs to happen. He goes, Justin. And here was the other thing, too, about Britt. Britt was one of these guys that uh, I think he had had some credit issues. So he was like all-cash guy. Or like debit card. He didn't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. And it was one of these weird things where like, I don't even think he had the money on him at the time to to bail himself out. So he goes, Justin, look. He's like, you got to give me your wallet or you got to bail me out. I'll take your stuff. And then I will make some phone calls. Because once again, too, the only way I'm getting out is with 750 cash. Right. And here it is like 3.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Where are we going to get that, you know? And I don't think I had it in the bank to just pull out, you know. And and so Britt was going to have to make a few phone calls or get a hold of a bail bondsman or something. But I just trusted him, and I said, okay, let's do it. And so when the time had passed, and slowly over the four hours, uh, different members of the holding cell got out of there. You know, one by one, their four hours were up, and there, someone came to bail them out. And I didn't, I forgot to say this part too, but at some point they took us all into this uh, different, they let us out of the holding cell, you know, put cuffs on us, and they took us into this little room. And on the other side, it was almost like this, you know, PE style locker room split door where there was an officer that would open the top half of the door, you know, little Emerald City you know, wizard type thing. And Dutch door. And this is where they would issue the orange jumpsuits. <laughs> and so I remember we they took us in there. They took us all in there to quote unquote change. And while we are in line, you know, there was about a dozen of us at this point to get the orange suits, and we didn't know the protocol or the procedure. Go get naked. Another officer, powder on you. A, 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 another officer comes up to tell the one officer, "Hey, most of these guys are public intox. They're getting out tonight. Don't bother. You know, like don't. You know." And he kind of told us, and it was like an on your honor thing. He goes, "Look, everybody, whoever's getting out tonight, don't worry about changing because we're not taking you to the back." And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's me." You know, and and <laughs> I can't I can't remember I can't remember if Brit had been in there yet or not, but Britt knew he was getting out for sure. I was kind of unsure, but I was like, well, I'm getting out too because as soon as Britt gets out, then he's going to get me out. So we didn't change into the orange jumpsuits. We went back in with everybody else. And slowly also, a couple of the people who they knew were going to be staying overnight, they took them into the back. So as the night went on and our numbers are getting fewer and fewer, uh, all of a sudden Britt's time comes up to, to leave. And so I had to go up and actually had to sign away my, my possessions to him. And I remember this this lady behind the counter, you know, black lady with kind of a southern drawl. She's like, oh, honey, are you sure you're not making a big mistake signing your stuff over to this man? And I told her, I said, this is my friend. Like, he's my only chance to get out of here. I have to. And I remember her just shaking her head like, Mm-hmm. I've seen this before. You in some trouble. You ain't never gonna see that man again. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and I just, I just told her, I was like, I have to. This is my only shot. So, Britt leaves, takes off, and here I am. And at this point, it's four thirty, five a.m. I don't know what it was. It was me and like two other guys in the holding cell. Strangely enough, there is a, well, not strangely enough, but there is a shift change among the officers. So everybody who had like was there when I came in and even when I came in, I remember some of the officers joking and laughing, Oh yeah, this guy rushed the field. <laughs> you know. All of a sudden these new guys, you know, for all their all they know I was burying a body the night before. You could have been a pedophile. Exactly. <laughs> could have been some pedophile, could have been who knows what. So the uh and plus, you know, super early in the morning, I mean you're not gonna have your high energy, you know, jokers there. So they come in, there's three of us, and 
I remember this big, huge, gruff officer comes in, and, and I don't know if it was just me or if it was maybe one of the other guys, too, or maybe all three of us. I can't, I can't really remember, but he goes, okay, you guys are changing into the oranges. Let's go. And I remember just like, oh, no, like, it's, it's okay. Like, I'm, I'm getting out of here soon. He goes, no, everybody's getting changed now, you know, type. And We're going to take you from the back. And, I mean, put you in the back. And <laughs> I think that initial pushback that I gave him was not good because we go into this same room that we had been in with the split door, and they start issuing us the clothes. And I start changing, and I'm about to, you know, basically throw. It wasn't a jumpsuit. There was actually a separate top and a bottom. But I'm putting this stuff on. Were you wearing your garments at the I time? did have the garments on. Did they ask you what those were? So here's what happened. Here's what happened. I'm about I'm about to put the orange top on. And this guy goes He goes every, he goes everything off except except for your shorts. You can keep those. And you know, keep in mind I'm I'm dead tired and I'm just exhausted and I'm looking at him and I go, "Oh, I said, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, it's for religious, you know, symbolism or significance or something like that." And he gives me this look like, you know, what did you say? <laughs> the split door slams. And I hear heavy footsteps go around the, to the other door where they put us in. The door flies open. He comes charging at me, grabs me, throws me up against the wall. So I'm like, you know, the, the, the silhouette of the dead body on the ground, but like up against the wall. This is where you became somebody's bitch. Okay, I was waiting for this. And uh, he puts his knee... Basically up right against, you know, my upper thigh, you know, lower butt cheek. And he's got that rammed into me. And he just kind of like whispers in my ear, but like hard and firm. He goes, he goes, he goes, that's coming off or I'm going to pepper spray your ass. Oh, my! you know, that was that was the quote from the officer. So um, and I'm sitting there, you know, face up against the wall, hands up against the wall thinking, you know what? If the Lord brought down the prison walls of Ammonihah, he can bring down the prison walls of Tarrant County. But in the meantime, I'm going to take off my garment top and I'll go halvesies and I'll throw on this orange suit. Don't you dare compare your faith to that of Alma the Younger. <laughs> but uh, I basically said, okay, I'm in a tough spot. I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to do what these guys ask. So I did that. I get escorted back into the cell. This cart comes around. And I remember it was breakfast time, you know, it was 6 a.m., 6.30. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, breakfast, you know. It was like continental and, breakfast. And, it was, and I, I, kid, I kid you not, it was the small, you know, the tiny two, three-ounce little orange juice and little milk and one tiny little, like, tiny little muffin. That was it. That was breakfast. And I remember I took it. Now, I'll say this. Now, you know, we were at the game nursing Sprites. But the last time I had eaten anything was, like, before the game lunchtime. So here I was, you know, I don't know, 18 hours later, hadn't eaten a thing. And so I gobbled this up. And I remember there was a guy that was just kind of, like, passed out sleeping on the floor. And I don't know how you fall asleep on that hard floor, but... He was wasted. And I remember telling the officer, I go, well, you know, what about this guy? Let's get him up. And he's just like, if he ain't awake, he don't eat. And he kept moving, and that was it. Brutal, dude. So it's like a freaking airplane, man. Within it, within it, not, not too long after that, the doors open, and all right, you three were going into the back, and I was scared, right? Because I was like, "What's the back? What's, I don't know what's back there." I thought this is was that, bad enough. Is that like the equivalent to the chokey? Uh, you like, know, I, I, I didn't know what I was about to see, but so we get escorted behind another gate or you know wall, and what it was was it was this big open room with a lot of individual small cells with bunks. And when I looked at that, I realized like, well, gee, if I'd known I was going to be here overnight, I probably would have tried to come back here so I could actually lay down on a bunk. But by the time we had gotten brought back there, it was, you know, wake up time and the alarm had already sounded and everybody was up and awake because you could no longer be lying in these little rooms. They left one door open to one of these cells for water access. So if you were thirsty, you could go get water. But otherwise, that was it. You know, there was a, there was a toilet and there was water. And this big room, I remember there was this huge TV up in the ceiling, about 30 
feet off the ground, just blaring some loud thing. And otherwise, the other weird thing about being in the back, there was about 50, 50 dudes back there. I remember walking in and distinctively noticing segregation, like just natural segregation. Like I remember looking to my left and, you know, it was a group of African-American black, you know, black guys. Look to my right, there's a bunch of Hispanics. And then in the far corner, a few white guys. I guess that's where I'm going to go, you know. Where were the Mormons? So it was just, it was the weirdest thing. And as I'm walking back to be with my people, because I didn't want to do the wrong thing, I'm walking by, there was actually some, a bench, a couple benches in there. They looked like something that you'd find on like a, a, an elementary school playground. And there's these guys playing some type of card game. And I'm like, what the heck? Where are you getting cards? As I'm walking by, I realize they don't have cards. They have the remnants of the milk and the orange juice boxes that they have torn up into some type of like dominoes or something. And that's what they're playing with. And I was just like, man, this is just rock bottom. This is complete desperation. All we have is our trash to play with. And that's what we have to pass the time or until we get out of here or whatever. And Dude, some of those prisoners or those inmates are freaking innovative, man. I heard something the other day where they used to give prisoners CDs, hmm. CD players, like their own individual CD player to listen to music to. But they figured out how to take out the motor and turn it into something that could be like a tattoo needle. (laughs) How incredible is that? It's really strange. This is innovation, man. It exists everywhere. So I'll try to I'll try to wrap this up. I know I know we've been going for a while here, but so I'm back there and it's you know six thirty seven seven thirty eight nine. The clock keeps ticking. In my mind, I'm thinking at some point this morning, Ralph and his crew are. Hopping in the road and taking off. Yeah, I'm thinking there might be a chance, but as time goes on, I'm thinking more and more like that ship has sailed. I don't, but I just want to get out of here. And when it was all said and done, I will say this: there was a phone back there, and because of what had happened with Britt earlier, I kind of thought, you know what? I got to call. I got to call my folks and just tell them, just in case, if something happens to Britt. I'm in big trouble. Mm. And we've already seen something happen to Britt once. Who's to say it wouldn't happen again? So I get on there. I remember trying to do the call. I I think it like went to voicemail. And I can't remember if I left a voicemail or not, but I tried again. And I finally got a hold of my mom answered. And I remember it was the funniest thing because I told her what happened. And she goes, oh, yeah, we kind of figured something like this might have happened when we didn't hear from you after the game. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and she goes, well... She goes, keep us posted. You know, if Britt can't get you out, we'll we'll start making some phone calls too. But it was just a weird, it was early Sunday morning, right? It was just probably the worst time to get a hold of anybody. You know, mm. people or businesses are closed and stuff. So I said, okay. And I remember at one point when I was waiting for Britt, the, the door opened, you know, all these officers come in. And they, hey, everybody, you know, up against the wall. And somebody had you know been taking liberties or been sleeping on one of the beds when they shouldn't have and they basically threatened they said we're gonna if that happens again you're all getting sprayed down or some weird thing and i'm like oh what oh my gosh you know but uh, but i just remember being in there and i from start to finish from the time i got the cuffs put on me to the time i finally got out it was only 14 hours but like you were saying harper psychologically something starts to change and you start to get a little messed up to where the point, I remember those last few hours, I I didn't know what I was going to do. I was there. I didn't know when I was getting out. I remember standing up and walking over to a wall and just kind of doing like these slow, I don't know, weird, like calisthenic things, just like against the wall where I would reach. You were losing your mind. I would reach my hand out (laughs) with a fist and like not actually punch the wall hard, but like meet the wall with my fist just just to do something just to pass the time just to like i don't know you were going crazy the only are you referencing sorry sorry go 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 ahead and finish i was gonna say the only other goofy thing i remember from that time was there was this guy who had come in to the jail with a tie-dye shirt and long hair 
and he looked like Cheech, you know, Cheech and Chong, and all the guys nicknamed him Cheech. And he had gotten taken to the back earlier in the night, and I remember walking in and seeing him in the back, and somehow he had finagled a whole roll of toilet paper, and he had, like, <laughs> curled up under it, so he was using it as a pillow, and I remember just walking by him. He was still sleeping. <laughs> just, Cheech. just weird, weird stuff. Um, but anyway, you had something. Well, I was just wondering if you were referencing in uh, one of the, my former episodes when I was talking about how like it's so different when you don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah, so oh, talking, completely like, the different. The thing, like, completely different. When he yeah. was in two days of uh, yeah. harrowing pain and sorrow yeah. and all that stuff, he thought it was eternity, and it's just like totally changes the dynamic. It, it felt, I mean, a second, yeah, a second felt like forever. It's just like, how can I speed this up? And you know, I think I knew in the back of my mind, like, well, this isn't. You're not going to be here forever, but I also knew like ah, you could be here for a couple of days if no one comes for you or you can't get out or some weird thing, you know. Then I think at that point, you know, you meet with a judge and they actually do transfer you to a prison or something versus a jail. But anyway, just just the unknown was just very frustrating. Well, finally the door opens up again. It's probably about I don't know what it was nine thirty, ten, ten thirty, eleven, and what they had done previous one other time was the door opens. They yell out a bunch of last names. Door closes, right? Mm -hmm. So the door opens, you know, Rodriguez, Sanchez, Hicken. That sounds like, that sounds racist. (laughs) You know, and uh, sure enough, my name gets called, and I'm just, I'm just so pumped to get out of here. Hickenes. And uh, I, I remember I had to go through all these, you know, doors, and this door has to close before we can open this door on this end. And I finally get to a point where, I make it outside and Britt is like waiting for me with some, I think he had like a bag of Burger King or something. And I was just, I gave him a big hug. I gobbled the stuff down. What a good friend. He had food for you. Yeah. And luckily, I think he even had some grapes too or something. I don't know. I went to a grocery store, but luckily he had all my stuff. Britt had told me between the time of me getting out and us going over to, to meet Ralph before I headed home. He had also added to the story that by the time he got out, he was just going over to get his car. Well, because he had parked in a police vehicle only lot, his car had been towed. Oh, so he had to hoof it on foot to the tow yard, uh, basically use the money that he had on him at the time to get his car out of the tow yard. But then he had to call his dad to get enough money wired to get me bailed out and was able to do that. And by the, fi- by the time he did all that, that's when he came back to get me. And my first thought is, I got I to gotta try Ralph. I got to try, <laughs> you know. And my phone was dead and I didn't, you know, it was like, I can't remember the charger situation, but I was like, I need a solution fast. Luckily, I still had the piece of paper that I had taken from the ride board with Ralph's number. I borrow Britt's phone. I call Ralph. I say, Ralph, it's Justin. I'm so sorry. I don't mention a word about anything because I don't want to scare a guy that I haven't even met. I just got busted for possession. I said, have you guys left yet? He goes, oh, no. We slept in and we were just wrapping up some breakfast. We were actually getting ready to hit the road in 15 minutes. Where are you? And I go, Okay, where are you guys? Let me come to you. Sure enough, I get dropped off. My plan was I'm not going to say a word. I'm dead tired, though. I haven't slept the whole night. I'm sweaty. I smell whatever. But I just <laughs> didn't care, you know. And it turned out it was Ralph and his wife, who was uh, from, you know, she might have been from Brazil or somewhere How in South America. How old was America. Ralph? So was he 67? Ralph was, was really about my age. He might have <laughs> been 26, 27, 28. But uh, so it was his wife. They had uh, an infant back home in Utah that they were trying to get back to see. And then it was like Ralph had a brother and his brother's friend. And then we were also picking up some other girl who was like a student for the ride back who didn't come out for the game, but she was just trying to get a ride back to Utah. Because keep in mind, right? School was starting. School was starting. This was right around the time. So, So we hit the road, and I remember specifically... Given it like a few hours before we like 
you know, we had chatted about other things. And finally I go, guys, I, I got a story to tell you. <laughs> so I, I give them the rundown. And I remember just like trying to, trying to take full advantage of the situation. We would stop at like a little, you know, gas station, mini mart or whatever. And I'd go in there and cashier would be like, Oh, how are you doing today? And I'd be like, I, I just got out of jail. I'm great. You know, I'm feeling <laughs> wonderful. Like it was so much, so much better out here than it was in there. And the, to wrap up kind of the story, I remember it was very frustrating because I was at the mercy of Ralph and the crew and on the way out, like I mentioned, we had decided to split the trip into into two days. Well, they decide, hey, we got enough drivers, and we want to get home to see our kid. We're just gonna we're just gonna do one shot all the way back. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm exhausted. This I'd is be gonna, all about that if is, I were you. This man. is I I I was, but I was also looking forward to like actually getting some sleep and lying down and not like trying to well, sleep in a jail cell well, or if in there's a car. Six, six other or five other drivers. That's still possible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know. And I I did what I could. And at some point, I remember just kind of like, hey, if I doze out, like I'm, I'm happy to take my leg, but like before that, you know. You know, I'm going to try to get some rest. And later in the night, my leg to drive finally came up. And there was a couple weird things that happened where, like, while we're driving, somehow, like, a window shattered. Like, one of the back windows just completely <laughs> shattered. Sounds so, like somebody, like a BYU student's car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, these guys were a little suspicious because they had this big, like, oh, yeah, Brit, before we left, Brit had these big, huge BYU magnets that he had on the side of his car. And he slapped it on our car, and he's like, all right, get this guy back to Utah and take this, you know, whatever. So these guys were like, I wonder if someone like saw the magnet and did something. I don't think that was the case. I think it was just coincidence. The window just shattered. But we had to drive the rest of the way after the window shattered with, like, trash bag, tarp, I mean, window it was, cover. It was an old Durango. Yeah, so. it was an old Durango. And then one other kind of goofy thing. I remember while I was driving, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. But I'm trying to like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta pull my weight. All of a sudden, I start to hear this like creaking, like this, like this back and forth. And it was in the middle of the night. Most people were asleep, and I go, hey, like, what's that noise? It stops. You know, weird. Few oh, mi- few no. Mi- few minutes later. No, don't tell few, me. Few minutes later, the noise starts up again, and I go there's that noise again what is it and I'm kind of like at this point I'm a little ornery finally Ralph's voice from the back speaks up and he goes uh that's a breast pump and I remember thinking like you guys are pumping back there like give me give me a heads up so I don't like turn around accidentally and like you know it could have been it could have been a lot my mind went there it could have been a lot worse things but I just remember that weird thing we finally make it back to Utah you know whatever 17 18 hours later and I'm wrapping this up here, but in the meantime, while I had been gone, my buddy that I had been living with, we were living back at the Belmont condos. We had run into some weird situation where um, we were living in a condo that was privately managed. And at the time, you know, just about everybody was in violation of like the county or the city ordinance of like, well, you're really only supposed to have three people in these condos but a lot of people shared the master bedroom and while we were living in there we actually were in different rooms but the guys who were in the master bedroom had moved out and so we just thought oh well we'll slide in there and we'll split it and we'll pay nothing for rent and you know while while we're gone the owners decided they were going to turn the management over to uh fcs or like the property local property management they come in, they see the two beds, they go, uh-uh, not going to happen. And so basically I told, I told the landlords, I said, well, if that's the case, like we want out of our contracts because we only signed the contracts thinking that we could continue to do what you guys had allowed for several years. And they were kind of being stubborn. And so they said, well, you got to find someone to buy it from you. So while I'm gone at the game, someone luckily buys our place but also in the meantime moves in and my my former roommate my buddy Dave Hatch goes you know he had told me while I was on the trip he goes hey some guys you know we sold it they moved in I've moved all your stuff to the corner of the the room 
but basically we're, we're homeless. We don't have a place. <laughs> so by the time I finally make it back to Utah, I have no place to go. I'm literally homeless. And I remember going over to Kiwanis Park and finding a big tree, and I crashed for about four or five hours and just slept under the tree until I finally, <laughs> like, came to... And was like, okay, I gotta figure some stuff out and, and get, like, get, get cleaned up, get my <laughs> life together. And the last little tidbit here was, I remember thinking like, okay, well now what? You know, I don't, I don't want this going on my record. You know, what do we do? And I remember talking to some people. I even remember calling the jail, saying, hey, you know, a couple of weeks ago I got arrested. I'm just trying to, you know, figure out what's next. And they're like, eh, you know, we don't know. Or if something happens, we'll let you go. And I remember I started getting flooded with all this. My, my parents started getting flooded with mail from all these different attorneys, you know, uh, criminal attorneys or defense attorneys or whatever. And finally, I, like, call one up and I say, hey, you know, what's going on? Or, and they kind of said, well, look, here's kind of how it works. These guys have technically up to two years to press charges. However, from our experience... If it's not done within 90 days of it happening, it's not going to happen. And based on what you've told me, this is silly. Like, they'd be stupid to press charges. Like, they, they probably, like, had to arrest you at the time, but no one's actually going to follow up with this. Well, sure enough, it was one of these things where it's like, okay, I'm going to not call. I'm just going to kind of keep my mouth shut, and hopefully it just goes away. Well, a few days right before kind of the 90 day mark sure enough we get a letter saying hey we're pressing charges no way and yeah absolutely so i call back up one of these attorneys i still you know this guy's name was dominic i still remember it's my brother's and, name. and i said hey can you represent me and i tell him the story and he's like oh i still remember this is quote he's like some chicken shit case man he's like yeah we'll get you off you know we'll get we'll, we'll take care of you <laughs> and so i was like okay but he proceeded to tell me, okay, here's what's going to happen. Like, you do have to come back out here and make an appearance. So I did have to go back out to Texas. This was in January, so about four months later. The the case was, quote-unquote, settled and dismissed with, you know, my attorney and the DA. And what the final word was, I had to pay a $100 fine. They reduced the charge from a class C or a class B misdemeanor to a class C misdemeanor. And I had to do 100 hours of community service. And, I, and then they said, and then you're also on probation for six months. And I was like, okay, whatever. Whatever it takes to just make sure this goes away, gets off my record, and we drop the charges. And so to wrap it all up, I remember thinking, what am I going to do for this community service? I remember telling my bishop at the time. And he goes, no. He goes, you've done enough service. Give me, give me that. I'm signing this letter. And he basically just signed that I had done it, you know. And so I was able to kind of turn that in and, you know, was clean for the next six months so that nothing re-aggravated the, the charge and was eventually off probation. And, and here I am to, to tell the story 12 years later. I, I figure the whole thing between the fine, the extra trip, the attorney – which the attorney was actually really cheap. He's just like, I'll, I'll do it for you for 500 bucks. But I figure the whole thing cost me a grand. But, you know, that, that's the, the, price, the price of the experience in the story. That's why. <laughs> there you have it. Um, Alright, that's not bad. Good way to sign off. Jay Hicken. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Sorry I was a little long-winded, but uh, good, that's what I got. Oh, so mad there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night cause I could almost see it did you fade right out of you if it takes time 